Gara watched her children from a perch in the sky. The earth had calmed. The molecules, of which there were too many, had begun to submerge back into the ocean and thin out in the skies above it. Slowly, fruit began to sprout more readily. Fish started to slither down rivers and streams. Her children moved from their caves in the mountains to the muddy plains below and learned to cultivate the land. They pulled wood together to make huts besides their field of brilliant blueberries. They fished quietly at nearby shores. Thought was now put into everything her children did. They no longer hunted wild creatures or tried to breed them just to line their own bellies with their fat. They respected the border of the forbidden zone and crossed it only by accident. They no longer killed each other in senselessness. Weapons were brandished only by those who carried out the law of Gara, and children were only born when the world was ready to carry them into the future. They were again as they were always meant to be, treading lightly upon the dirt beneath their feet. They had learned their lesson. Gara looks down on her children from her perch in the sky, and she loves you. This has been your early morning gospel of Gara, Elithros 8, The Years of Rebirth. May we tread lightly upon the earth as we face the week ahead and every day henceforth. The chairs in the small waiting room are the hardest I have ever sat in. I don't remember this from last time. There are three other people waiting with me. Nervous. All of us. It's in the air. The walls are stained with it. My foot can't stop tapping against the floor beneath the table. The woman next to me shoots me an angry look, and I shrug apologetically, try to stop. Can't. She turns, softened at my effort, and we both stare at the door, waiting for them to bring out the prisoners. As you can probably guess, I survived the fall from the hotel window. We landed in the dirt below the hotel pretty hard, but Kane's mammoth body cushioned my fall. So much that I was more or less unharmed. I thank Gara for that. While Kane suffered a broken leg, several broken ribs, and had to be treated at the medical center for a week until he could be released to the law, I more or less walked away from the scene, rolled right off him and stood, hands still bound behind my back, much to the shock and awe of the local drunks loitering outside Fanny and Jack's at the time of the incident. Speaking of medical treatments, Manu came clean and confessed to faking several medical reports. She claims Kane threatened her into doing it, but that's between her and the New York law now. In the aftermath of my statement, several true believers were outed at the Constitute, as well as one of the deputies at the New York law office. Surprisingly, it was not Deputy Forehead, but the young woman who brought the letter to the Constitute that day. Of course, no such letter was ever delivered. As for what Kane told me about the Constitute, I'm not sure what to think about that. I suppose I'll do some digging if I ever get my dream job up there. Of course, I will not be mentioning this during my entrance exam. Until then, I'm just glad to be back in Stalford. Moon was more than ready to leave the city for good, and the moment she realized where we were headed, she went into a full sprint all the way home. And, in case you were wondering... Prudence is more than a little proud of me. She refuses to call me anything but Sheriff Harper, which I keep telling her is ridiculous, especially in our formal requests to pass a plate or stoke the fire. But it's Prudence, and she won't be stopped. Finally, 
since I caught a now notorious law legend turned serial killer. Even the Wilson boys are treating me with deference I didn't know they were capable of. It's all, yes ma'am, and yes Sheriff Rose. And I have to admit, it's long overdue. And of course, there's the other thing I had to face. Harper. They've brought him in. It's hard to reconcile the frail old man in the green jumpsuit to the bombastic father of my youth. I rub my sticky palms against my thighs. The voice saying my name hasn't changed. I clench my teeth and swallow. But despite myself, my eyes are brimming wet. He sits and stares at me, puts his hand out as if to touch my face, then thinks better of it, puts it down on the table. Hi, Dad. Now his eyes are flooded, but he makes no effort to hide it. I slide my hand out next to his on the table. We stare down at them, his large and creased beside mine, a smaller version of his, as he starts to tell me about what happened, and I don't interrupt. Maybe the only way to move forward is to forgive the sins of our fathers and to let them apologize for a really, really long time.